the body of Christ. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That we might examine this today. How is it that the Lord calls us to partake, to share in the blood and the body of Christ? What were the issues concerning this in the church at Corinth in the first century that Paul had to address in this fashion? And how is it in our lives that we need to understand this? If you're able, will you stand with me? And I'll read the word of God. Heavenly Father, come upon us today through the power of your spirit that we might understand the body and blood of Christ, that we might understand exactly what happens here at this table, that as we look into your word, you will open our eyes and our hearts and our ears, that we might see and understand and hear your word, that we might understand your grace as it is provided for us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll begin in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? This is the inspired word of God for us today. Please be seated. Are we what we eat? Are we what we eat? Then what's for dinner? Okay. What's for dinner? Studies have shown that if you feed a rat healthy food, that rat will live quite a long time. If you feed a rat donuts for breakfast and fast food for dinner and fast food for, uh, fast food for lunch and fast food for dinner and snacks of, uh, uh, dare I say, chocolate, uh, that rat will die an early life, okay, an early death. He will die early. I have a friend in Florida who runs 20-plus miles a week. I said, Bill, why do you run? Do you really like it? He says, no, I hate to run, but I love to eat. So I can eat anything I want as long as I run. Many of us have weaknesses for certain foods, chocolate, red meat. You just pick whatever it is you like. Some of us watch the Food Channel looking for new recipes, okay, because we love to cook. Why do we love to cook? Because we like to eat. We like to eat. Now, unless you can remember your parents or perhaps your grandparents who perhaps had a farm, uh, and you remember those times when it was, uh, well, why don't you go out and get a chicken for dinner? 
Okay. Or uh, if you remember the times when it was uh, sausage time and it was time for the hogs to be slaughtered. Or if you're a hunter and you know what it means to go out and dress a, a deer, then you probably don't know what happens between the time the chicken runs in the field and it ends up in a plastic sealed container at Kroger. Okay. And most of us really don't want to know. Okay. Really don't want to know. I forget who was it who said you know, you never want to see sausage being made. I don't know who said that, but he was right. He was right. Well, where your food came from is not a big issue for most of us. Just as long as we go to Kroger or Piggly Wiggly or Publix, and there it is in the counter for us, and, and we can get it. But if you were Jewish in the first century, or even sometimes a Jewish convert to Christianity, where your food had been was of great importance. Was of great importance. Now, if you remember in Acts, when Paul is before, um, uh, well, Paul's before the Jerusalem Council, and he has just arrived, and in tow he has several Gentiles who have come to Christ. Uh, And the Spirit has descended upon them, and they have collected an offering for the church at Jerusalem. And he comes to the Council of Jerusalem with these Gentile converts, Spirit-filled individuals, and this offering and the word of wisdom that the Jerusalem Council, the mother church, these were Jews who had converted to Christianity, the word of of counsel to these Gentile churches was, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, you think, well, what... Is that a big deal? Well, it was a big deal in the first century. It was a very big deal in the first century. Abstain from food that has been sacrificed to idols. If you ate food according to their mindset that had been sacrificed to an idol, you were eating something that was unclean, something that had participated in demonic activities. That's what you were doing. Now, this takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the problems that this young church was having with understanding what the Lord's Supper was all about and what was the proper way to celebrate it. Now, first of all, they asked the question about meat offered to idols. Is it wrong to eat meat offered to an idol? Now, you have to understand in their society at Corinth, this was an ongoing activity. Day in and day out, almost continually, there were offerings made to idols. Okay? And that was a lot of food. And then that food, once it was offered to an idol, and the idol is not going to eat it, it's just a piece of stone or a piece of wood, that food would then make its way to the marketplace and then would be sold. And they were very particular as to not to buy that meat that had been offered to idols. At least some portions of the population was were very particular about it. But others were saying, well, it's not such a big deal. I mean, can you tell the difference between meat that's been offered to idols and meat that hasn't? Does it look different? Is there some inherent distinction between the two? If I showed you a piece of, well, I really don't know. Is there a difference between a free-range chicken and a not free-range chicken? If you look at it, well, I don't know. In in Mexico, they're all free-range chickens, aren't they? Dominican, they're just everywhere. People put up fences to keep other animals out, not to keep theirs in. Okay, keep other animals out. Well, the Corinth, the, the Corinth believers were really struggling with this, and they were asking this question, and they had gotten gotten to the point where they had decided that really it was no big thing. I mean, meat is meat, and you can't really tell the difference. 
And this had led some to say, well, you know what, since we're eating meat that's been offered to idols, and it's no big thing, what's the big thing about going out and and hanging out with our friends at their feasts? Even though the feasts are geared towards their idols, we're not participating in idol worship, but we're just hanging out with our friends at the idol feasts. So they had already begun to slide into this. And, and this was a real warning from Paul. They were getting back into the swing of pagan life, back into the economics of it, back into the social aspect of pagan life, uh, the political, the cultural aspects. And these feasts that they were attending were built around the worship of idols. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 26, and let's review for a moment the Lord's Supper and why this is important, and what the Lord was doing when he instituted this meal. Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 26. Just as an aside, if you listen carefully, uh, when we break the bread... We break the bread, but it is the body of Christ that is given for us. It is not broken for us. Were there any bones of Christ broken on the cross? No. And, and I, I never gave it a thought because I had grown up hearing his body broken for us. And then Bill Hatcher came to me one Sunday after worship and he said, you know, there weren't any bones broken of Christ. And I said, oh, yeah, you're right. His body was given for us. Okay. So that's why I trust you'll hear me say given for us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had given a cup and given th- taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus, this is a Passover meal, and somewhere in the middle of this Passover meal, we think right after the third cup, and there are four cups in a Passover meal, and right around the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, he takes this cup, and the meal is going in this direction, the standard Passover meal, and suddenly he takes this meal in a new direction and makes it his meal. No longer is it a remembrance of the exodus and a remembrance of the bitterness of, of of being is the time in Egypt and the Lord coming and turning them loose. Now it is a time that we will remember that being turned loose from our sins and also what is available to us at the Lord's table. He takes the Passover feast and makes it a feast concerning him and a feast of his body and of his blood. So he takes this cup, this cup of redemption and he blesses it. And this becomes the institution of the Lord's table something which is basic to the church throughout, basically throughout all of history. In fact, at the beginning of the church in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, you'll notice that daily they were breaking bread in each other's homes. They were going out and worshiping together and serving one another, and this was going on on a regular daily basis in the homes. Okay, so there we have some, some small background on the breaking of bread and upon the institution of the Lord's table. Now back to Corinthians chapter 10. 
The big problem here is that idolatry was slipping in to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And the Corinthians were really not understanding how dangerous this could be. So Paul needs to address this issue. Now, uh, first, a a question, general question of what is idolatry? Just just a few items here. They're probably, you could define it uh, uh, a lot broader if you wanted to. I just have a couple things. Idolatry is slandering God's character. It is assuming God is not what he says he is or that he is more than he says he is. How do you get more? Well, that that God would do things that his character, uh, his covenants say that he would not do. That is idolatry. Um, Idolatry is to think any less or any more about God. It is to do something false concerning God. God reveals himself to us. He says, this is the way I am. And we have no right to add any more to it or to take any take away from it. This is God. This is how he reveals himself to us. This is how he wants us to understand him. And he has done that. Secondly, idolatry is not only slandering God's character, but worshiping the true God in the wrong way. Worshiping the true God in the wrong way. You know, worship is an action word. It is a verb. We come on Sunday to worship God. We don't come on Sunday to get warm fuzzies. If we get warm fuzzies because we're worshiping God in the right fashion, fantastic, fantastic. But we come to give him honor and him glory and to worship him in the way that he prescribes. So worshiping God in a way that he does not prescribe is idolatry. Thirdly, idolatry is worshiping other things than God, other things than God. This is what we commonly associate associate idolatry with. Images, angels, devils, uh, dead men. This is just some things throughout history of, of what other people have worshipped. Uh, it's having an idol in our heart. It's having something that we put before the Lord in our lives, whatever that may be. Something we put before the Lord in our lives. You fill in the blank of whatever it may be. Okay, it also might be seen as covetousness, might be lust, materialism, uh, anything like that that takes the place of God first and foremost. It might be your spouse. It might be your children. Well, you, my children come first in life. Then your children are your idols. My spouse is first. Then your spouse is an idol. Okay? God comes first. We worship him. Then everything falls in line after that. Well, the Corinthians, in their corruption of the Lord's Supper, had done Two things. They had overestimated the power of the Lord's Supper and underestimated the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Overestimated the power, underestimated the purpose. In other words, they saw eating and drinking uh, at the Lord's table kind of a religious cure-all to all the evil effects of society that they faced. Now, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and it was a very uh, ethnic area. A very, uh, very Roman Catholic area. A large number of my friends went to Roman Catholic schools. We played in, in, in basketball in high school. We always played two or three Roman Catholic schools. Um, it was still the day when, let me think, in the public school, in elementary school, it was still the day when we ate fish on Friday in the public school. Okay, And then as we got older, it went only to Lent did we eat fish on Friday. So you can see how influential that was in that area. Many of my friends who were Roman Catholics 
they understood confession as the cure-all. They said, well, we're going to confession on Friday, so everything will be wiped clean. We can start again. So they would have at it all week and in, in, involve themselves in sin, knowing they could go to confession on Friday, confess it, it'd be wiped out, they got a new slate. That is somewhat like the Corinthians here, what they were thinking. They were thinking that we can be involved in oh, any kind of activity that we want, knowing that, that coming up we're going to go to the Lord's table, and I'm going to eat the bread and drink the wine, and you know what's going to happen to my sins? They're going to be all washed away, and I can start anew and go at it again next week. See, they, had, they were relying upon food to protect them from the judgment of God. They were thinking that if I just go to the table, if I just go through the motions, if I just go through the forms, then God will forgive me and I'll be okay. This is not that far removed from how some people still consider the Lord's Supper and still consider what happens here. They'll come to the table saying, well, I would need my sins to be forgiven, and this is kind of that, uh, uh, that cure-all that I need to take, some sort of sacramentalism, that if I go to the table, I take, a, take the wafer, I take the little glass of Welch's grape juice, and God loves me again, okay? and I'm forgiven. No, that's not the way it works. How must you come to the table? You must come to the table with a contrite heart, with a broken heart, confessing your sin, being knowledgeable and aware of your sin and the wonderful forgiveness that is available to us in Jesus Christ. You must confess your sin before you come to the table. Otherwise, what happens? You eat and drink damnation upon yourselves if you take it in a manner that is unworthy. And the Corinthians, they just didn't, this didn't register with them. They were still thinking that it was their free pass. Okay? I've got sin. I take the Lord's Supper. I'm good to go for another round. And this is the way they were practicing it. They were overestimating the power of the Lord's Supper. Now, secondly, they were underestimating the purpose of the Lord's Supper. They didn't realize that when they came to the table, that they were, in effect, participating with Christ in his death. Really, the benefits of Christ in his death. So they were thinking that, on the one hand, taking part in the Lord's Supper, and if you look in in, uh, previous verses 1 through 14, I've been baptized in Christ, I'm participating in the Lord's Supper, those things cleanse me. Now I can go out and live the way I want. I can participate in, in idolatry. They were counting on the Lord's Supper to clean them up. And also they were not understanding of who it is they were attaching themselves to when they went to the table, either the Lord's table or to the Feast of Idols. Now it's the same thing. When you go to the table for the Corinthians and participate participate in a feast that is focused upon idols, you are participating in the idols themselves. So you are participating in things concerning demons. Now, when you come to the Lord's table, you are participating in the things of Christ, in the things of Christ. Let's look here, see if I can find this. Um, Verse 18, look at the nation Israel, verse 18, are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? 
Now, that does not mean that in Israel, when they sacrificed on the altar, that they were going up and eating the altar. What they were doing is being sharers in the effects of what happened on the altar. Okay, Their sins were being washed. Their, they were seeking forgiveness, and they were participating in the death of that animal. That death of that animal was cleansing them, however temporarily and imperfectly in the Old Testament, of the sin which they were confessing. And in the same way, we come to the table, and we are participating with and in the death of Christ as he washes away those sins and communicates to us grace. So we can either be participators in things that are demonic by pursuing idol feasts, whatever they may be in our society. You, you, you kind of pick and decide. What are the things that we participate in as individuals that fall into that category? Now, none of us are probably out there have a little idol in our backyard, and we're not out there putting a flank steak or a piece of sirloin in front of that idol and, and sacrificing it or doing anything like that. But we participate in things that are purely worldly, purely there to take us away from the things of Christ. And when we participate in them, however innocently they may be, thinking that, oh, well, yeah, I know that's not right, and and, uh, I'll seek forgiveness later. We're participating. We're becoming sharers in that activity. But when we come to the Lord's table, and we come with our hearts that have confessed our sin and sought the things of the Lord, we are participating in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ as well. So the question comes to us, what will we participate in? The Corinthians were having a terrible time understanding this. They didn't think idols were anything. Well, it's just a piece of stone. Well, yes, it is. But you are pursuing that piece of stone, and by your pursuit of it, you participate with it and share in it. Now, the question is, can you participate in that, in a sense, Monday through Friday, and then come and participate and share in this on Sunday? And that's what Paul was saying. You cannot do both. What's verse 21 say? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? Paul says, understand who you're dealing with. You're dealing with the Lord. And he calls you to a life of holiness, a life of participation with the death of Christ. And with the shedding of his blood and with the benefits that come there. They're not the benefits that, okay, just sacramentalism, they're going to wash away my sins and I can go and live the other way. See, they were counting on that instead of adjusting their lives to lives of holiness. They'd rather conform to the things of the world and then count on meeting up with their friends and participating in the Lord's Supper to wash away their sins rather than being transformed by the blood of Christ and participating with him. So that's what it comes down to. Are we going to conform to the world and then count on the Lord to clean up after us? Or are we going to pursue lives of holiness, lives of sanctification, and participate in the blood and the body of Christ? See, this is what Paul calls us to. This is what he warns the Corinthians about. And he warns us too. So, you have to decide, what is it in your life that you participate in? 
that is not what the Lord wants you to participate in? What are the things that you pursue that the Lord does not want you to pursue? What are you becoming identified with that you shouldn't be identified with? See, we come to this table because we want to be identified with Christ. We want to be participating with Christ. We want to be sharers in the benefits of Christ's life and death and resurrection. It is here that he communicates this grace to us, empowers us, not in some magical way, but in a way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We participate with him here at this table. Why should we avoid those things, participating in them? And the same reason Paul warns the Corinthians. Because when you participate in idol feasts, you are participating in demonic things. You're not probably participating in any demonic worship. If you are, you come this week and we'll talk about it, okay? But there are things in our lives that we're participating in that are taking us away from Christ. We are becoming sharers in those worldly things when we really ought to be sharers in the things of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things in this world that call for our attention, that call our name, So many opportunities we have to participate in things that Paul would have called classified as idle feasts in our lives. We have one opportunity to participate in the things of Christ. One opportunity to pursue him and become sharers in the benefits of his sacrifice for us. Lord, you call us to confess our sin, to lay our hearts open before you, to trust Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior, to come to this table and to be sharers in, participants in, the benefits of the blood and the body of Christ. Blood that was shed for us, his body that was given for us. Lord, we all have areas in our lives that we hang on to, We don't want to give up. And we do that because they're enjoyable, because they have a tie to us, maybe from our former lives, before we became believers. And they call us. They call to us and say, come back to me. Don't leave me. But yet we have to leave them because we no longer need to participate in them. We no no longer need to be sharers in the results of those things when we can be sharers in the results of Christ's sacrifice for us. Lord, you call us to lives of holiness, to sanctified living, to fixing our eyes upon you, filling our minds and our hearts with the things of Christ and what he calls us to do. You have empowered us through the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. He is the one who goes before us to prepare the way. He is the one who enables us. The question is, are we going to conform our will to the things of Christ? Come today, Lord, and fix in our minds and our hearts 
that we must conform to the things of Christ, be transformed by the renewing of our minds in the word of God, that we might forever participate in the sacrifice of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let us stand and sing the first two verses of 421. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Let us stand as we sing 421. <laughs> 